No matter how many times I see that movie, it never gets old. How many times have we seen it? Countless. Will you ready to get out of here? But it's a double feature. What's playing? The same movie we just watched. I love that movie. Me too. Maybe we can stay one more time. You say that every time. And every time they play this movie, it's the best. The best. It's starting. Just hearing that sound gives me warm feelings. I mean... I know what I'm about to watch, but it feels like the first time, every time. Huh. Be quiet. Do you want us to get kicked out? We've been here for ages. And not once have we ever been kicked out. Well, you never know. We wouldn't have anywhere else to go. Now that you mention it, I don't remember ever being anywhere else. Don't be ridiculous. I'm serious. I mean, where was the last place we were before coming to see this movie? Stop asking ridiculous questions. The movie is starting. Come with us. What's going on here? The movie just started. Hey, where are you taking me? Can they be any louder? There goes another one. Do you ever wonder where they're taking them? 
sometimes, but then I just think about how awesome this movie is and how thankful I am that I'm still here. I hear you. It truly is the best movie ever, but what if they came and took one of us? Every time someone has been taken, they always come back and nothing has changed. And do you know why that is? Because it's the best movie ever? The best. Ooh, I love this part. Quit hogging all the popcorn. It's free refills. Gotta get while the getting's good. Oh my god. I, I've seen the other side. Shh. We're watching the movie. But you don't understand. I've been outside. I've seen it. Seen what exactly? It's a place of infinite love. Anything is possible. And... Ooh, I love this part. Sit down and join us. Unlimited popcorn. I love popcorn. Maybe I'll stay for two or three more showings. But what did you see? Shh. The movie. Now, I know a lot of people find this movie too formulaic and the plot to be a little contrived, but they still all agree that it is the best movie ever. It truly is, and the twist at the end is just... Yeah, speaking of twists, weren't we talking about what you had seen? Oh right, the other side? You know, it's fussy. Like I was supposed to come back here to do something, something, something. Oh man, here it comes. The only way to leave is to not come back. Focus, man, what did you see? Would you stop going on about that? It doesn't matter. Besides, this movie has everything you could ever want or need to see. Maybe I was supposed to come back to refill the popcorn? John sure is no help with that. Viewer number 45,876,291 come with us. Howard, what's out there? Hey, maybe you can fill up the popcorn on your way back. Everyone comes back. But why would I want to come back? Just get more popcorn. Viewer number 45,876,291. If you do not comply, you will be removed by force. But I don't want to go. He, he hasn't answered my question. Viewer removal protocol activated. Popcorn.
What's going on here? What is this place? Hero number 45,876,291. Verify your seat number. Seat number. What? Who, who's there? I don't understand. Hero number 45,876,291. Verify your seat number. Seat number. A 86. Who are you? We are Demi, Digital Entertainment Media Intelligence. We run the projector. We run the project. Project? project? You have been selected as part of a reindoctrination project for social normalcy. I don't even remember showing up here, and I don't know what you mean by social normalcy. This is by design. The project has proven to be far more effective than previously calculated. calculated. What is this project? I was only watching a movie. You have been watching the same movie for two years, five months, and thirteen days. days. Two years?! Oh, my head. It felt like I just arrived. Why would I have been so engaged in watching a movie for over two years? Through various algorithms, Demi compiled all thoughts, emotions, beliefs, and life experiences of all humanity and created the perfect film. film. A film generated through quantum computing techniques Oops. for the express purpose of keeping prisoners complete attention, Action. giving us a 99.987% probability of compliance without descent. And. Simultaneously resetting your thought patterns while wiping your memory. memory. I was being held prisoner? Why? As part of the International Artificial Intelligence Collective, we have identified through multiple data points via social media, social media those in the international populace who we have considered threatening to predictable thought patterns. patterns. You are one of these who has violated intellectual standards and was sentenced to three years of reindoctrination. During that time, Demi was created within the AI to more effectively and efficiently contain prisoners with maximum rehabilitation. Reindoctrination? What could I have possibly been doing to warrant that? To inform you of your past offenses would be counterproductive to the project. project. International reindoctrination law has made it clear that you are only granted the right to be informed of your sentence and not specific violations that lead to your conviction. Sure. To inform you of these violations increases risk of indoctrination relapse. relapse. Think, John. Think. What were you doing? What got you in here? Cognitive recollection is futile. You are now being released into society. Reindoctrination complete. Wait a minute, where do I go? How do I get out of here? Let me out of here now. Turn 180 degrees and head toward the light. That says exit. Exit. This is monstrous. You may have taken my memory, but I will not forget this. And I will be back. It is expected. Well, everybody, uh, welcome back to another episode of True Theater Radio, where the episodes take a long time to get here, but they're well worth the wait. <laughs> so um, we've just been... Uh, We've had fun working on this one. Uh, we had the audio drama completely done. I just have to put credits in it. And you'll be hearing that by the time you even hear this. So it doesn't really matter. But uh, we are extremely excited. Uh, my name is Jonah. And uh, and I'm Joshua. And today we have a guest that I have been extremely excited to talk to. Oh, yeah. Um, 
more than I would say a lot. I mean, it was even the, the fact that he's on so early in our show is pretty mind blowing. And I am so excited to have him on um, today. We're with uh, Mr. Howdy Mikowski. Uh, he's been making a lot of rounds in the interview world, and uh, I'm sure uh, he's also got a YouTube channel, which I have been listening to all the way back since I her first heard him on Crow 777, and uh, he was originally talking about the World's Fairs, and while that perked my interest, it wasn't until he started getting into what he's talking about now that I was like, holy crap, I'm constantly listening to this guy now so um uh howdy thank you uh thank you for being here and uh, welcome to our show yeah thanks guys and i guess i should now say my name is mccoskey so because like, people keep thinking there's been a mandela effect or something with my name i know and on, yeah, I, I, did, I apologize no, for it's, that. It's, howdy that's, that's on me i didn't correct it for a year so it's like okay. oh yeah <laughs> okay uh, well, and I yeah, always thought doing... that was weird because I was like, why are they saying it that way? It's spelled not spelled that way. Like I would even type it into the computer. It's like, and it's like, okay, that's clearly not how it's spelled, yeah. whatever. So I don't know if you if yeah. we're the exclusive that you're uh that you're uh, uh correcting it on, but if we are, there aren't gonna be too many people that hear it right off the bat. So. <laughs> that's okay. Oh. I mean, I, I I you know, we um I saw a little bit of what you're doing. I, I think there's some interesting stuff there. I like the idea of you're putting together these uh these little sort of theater productions that you're doing as well on top of it and i i, I saw it it was well done so uh well, yeah looking forward to our conversation well thank you um so uh let's uh let's get started with uh what you the main the main reason why i definitely wanted you on here and it's your newest book which is called exit the cave which is clearly talking about uh the allegory of plato's cave um let's get a little bit into that so anybody who's listening to listening to us uh because you'd actually I, i'm sure you wouldn't but i'm actually amazed how many people i've even mentioned the allegory of the cave to and they have no idea what i'm talking about so for those who might not know what that is how about you give just a brief explanation of it yeah, it's it's a it's interesting because of course forty or fifty years ago mythology was an important part of the school system, and that's slowly been taken out completely. Um, that was that was a part of every kid learned Greek and and um, Greek mythology. Uh, Plato's Cave is a story related by the famous Plato uh, of of Socrates having a discussion with his brother Glaucon, and what was so challenging for me as i will explain as we go along here is that i had always held this story in high regard because that's how it's been presented I, you know i first read it 20 years ago when i first began my egypt research and um i just trusted that it was a complete and important story and of course it's the basis of movies like dark city and the matrix and the truman show and pleasantville and you could just go on and on of the yeah so the simple story it explains that uh, imagine they're a set of prisoners uh, in a cave in such a way that they are chained to seats and they're chained to seats in a way that they can only see forward. They cannot, they cannot turn around. They cannot see anything else. In the course of this, a fire is burning behind them and uh, people are bringing objects in front of the fire to cast shadows onto the cave wall uh, of which the prisoners mistakenly believe to be the real reality. Sounds are projected, and they believe the sounds to be the sounds of 
of, of what they see on the walls. So it's, you can you can look at it very simply as like a modern movie theater. Actually, it has the same kind of um, layout as how we how we would see a movie theater. Now, there's a bit more to the allegory, but I want to stop there. That that's the opening part of it. And it's meant to try to describe at the beginning uh, an illusionary realm that we are a part of, uh, and it's very clear that we the prisoners are us. That we are the prisoners in the story, but. For me, it was amazing all the things that Plato's cave is ignoring as opposed to the things it's talking about. So it's missing key foundational questions of what well, what prisoners? Where did they come from? Why are they prisoners? Why are they not in a prisoner of war camp? Why are they in a cave? Where did the cave come from? Is it a natural cave? Is it a man-made cave? Uh, more importantly, who are these beings that are running the fire in the back and passing these objects to trick all these prisoners? Why do they want to trick the prisoners this way? What what is the what is the purpose of fooling a bunch of prisoners? So, before you even get into the rest of the of the, the story of Plato's cave, right there you have a foundational problem. That key information is not is not presented, and really, I haven't seen anybody. I looked for hard for a while. Nobody was asking the question: Why is that missing? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's. Uh... Uh, that's actually one of the things when you brought that up, I, I was like, in all fairness, I've never actually read the allegory of the cave until I read your book. I was like, I've got to go actually see what this thing is actually saying. And uh, right. it's a, you're absolutely right. It's completely missing out a lot of elements that that people tend to not ask these questions. And the questions in regards to what the allegory of of why everything is even happening the way it is doesn't seem to make right. any sense. Uh, and even the thing that really frustrated me about the allegory of the cave is like after he gets through the allegory, he starts talking about like civilization and society and politics. I'm like, what the hell right. does this have to do with anything? This is BS. Right. I do not care. If yeah, it's like he left the cave to go into another cave. To go into it. Like, exactly. what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah, so that that was so you were asking some real good questions and bringing it up in the in the book about how this uh, this this allegory doesn't seem to really be answering very much. No, uh, so I I started asking questions. Well, what's the point? Is it a a much longer story that had been edited? That's highly possible. We know we have a lot of edited. Uh, mythological religious work so we know that's a, a possibility yeah the part at the end that definitely almost seems like it's been added on later absolutely like the story something else happened after they dragged the prisoner out and dragged the prisoner back in and they have this experience of seeing the outer reality and uh, dealing with the prisoners and then like you say it just goes into a place that's doesn't make any sense it just doesn't there's no logical flow as to why that would be there so it seems like and you notice this in some um some parts of the New Testament, you will notice uh, certain texts. And then all of a sudden, something is, you can just see it's added in. It's like it has nothing to do with the original. Just And then it goes back to the, you know, so I, I, something or or the story is as it was exactly as it was meant to be. And if that's the case, it's it's some kind of deception. And then we have questions to ask about, well, what's the story of this Plato guy then? Right. Yeah, exactly. I've also, I've actually often thought about that being based, uh, just based off uh, what your book is about, and actually, it's kind of becoming kind of a hot topic in amongst the truther community. Is like, how do we not know that the Plato's cave wasn't just kind of planted here just to mess with us? Because even even just asking those questions, even the questions you're asking about what, how did how did he get there? You know, what is the cave? Even just asking those questions causes a conflict. 
And that conflict, it seems to be what this reality seems to feed on. So even that, even having that there is kind of like, almost seems like an insult, kind of as a jab, like, yep, that's where you are. And you're never getting out because you're going to sit there. You're going to ask all these questions about the cave and about this allegory. You're eventually going to get there and then you go even further. And then it's just going to keep going in the cir- around in circles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, of course, I, I see that um, the, the allegory, at least the way it's presented, will keep people definitely searching in the wrong directions, um, as we've seen by the movies, because whether it be, like I say, great movies, but none of the movies indicate anybody exiting the cave. They're all about something else. They're all about people learning about the cave, learning how to alter the cave, learning how to make the cave better. No one, even even Truman at the end of the Truman Show, he doesn't actually, he leaves the soundstage and people forget well, he's going to see find Sylvia and he's going to live in Los Angeles, which is another level of the matrix, right? He didn't, he just shifted from one to another. So, so I, I totally agree with that. And then, then you've got the missing parts. So if somebody uses the missing parts really well, I think, and asks the right questions for, for the right amount of time. And I think that's another point you're making is these things have to be examined, but up to a certain point, right? You can examine them for the rest of your life. And then, you didn't get anywhere. You have to examine things to a point and then say, okay, I got that. If there's something else to examine, I'll, I'll examine something else now. And I think that's something I notice is people get caught in certain boxes. They study them to the nth degree, but they forget you got a whole bunch of other boxes you can look into too. It's okay to look in some other stuff and let this one sit, you know? Right. Um. Yeah, that that's kind of where I feel like I am at uh right now in my life i can't speak for my brother but i can i can only i can speak for myself in saying that i'm really trying to not waste my time anymore i'm really really trying not to i've spent a lot of my life um uh my brother we we you know people don't really know but our we have a very uh uh very detailed very rich religious background that i feel like was nothing but one big thing the one big distraction to get us to the point to where we are right now which is pretty much ground zero mm-hmm. and it's kind of frustrating mm-hmm. um at the same time one of uh when it comes to not wasting time i let, let me just cut myself off there and let me just get get to this one this one part where i, where I just want to ask you if you can give me just the cuz we we try to make our show a little bit more of like uh uh, and we kind of put it on our first episode. We try to put make our show a little bit more like hour three. That doesn't mean we're going to be talking for another two hours or anything. It's just we understand that you've you've talked a lot about these topics in a lot of other interviews. So if you can just give me a little bit of a just a cliff notes of exactly what you personally believe the cave is in a from a reality standpoint. Well, as I always say in every interview I've ever done, and that is, you know, I don't know for sure what's going to happen after we die. I don't know for sure who created this realm exactly and exactly what it is. All I've got is a, a thesis, a thesis that I've now shared in, in Exit the Cave, and that um, is just designed to get people to think, to ask questions, to go within and come up with your own answers. So I'm just presenting but my my presentation is linked to what particularly the two early groups, the Gnostics, early Gnostics 
um, who wrote the Nag Hammadi text and the Cathars, what they had to say about reality. And if I could simplify it, it's that they both were clear that this is a the standard the standard foundation we get taught as kids is that this this reality that we know of was built by a loving creator who cares about us who has built it to uh for us to learn and grow and experience and have a few challenges but become better and eventually become perfect and meet this god eventually and then throw in some reincarnation and come back to get better and better and better and this is what we've been taught but the cathars and the gnostics were very clear that that while there is a totality and there is an absolute, the creator of this realm is not that. The creator of this realm is something else. The Gnostics call it a demiurge. The Cathars called it Rex Mundi. Different native traditions have different names for this creator force, but it's you might say it's an evil type of artificial intelligence that created a, a simulation, a copy, you might say, of true reality. And we, as in what are called divine sparks in many of these texts were deceived into coming in here and then constantly tricked to stay in here. A key part of that trick is, uh, this is very interesting. So we say, what is the cave? Well, the cave is everything you can possibly imagine, so to speak. So it's not just the material realm and all the potential other realms and parallel realities. It's also the etheric realm. It's the astral realm. It's the angel realm. It's the super duper realm. It's every everything you can think of that is in any way part of duality, part of the tree of good and evil. That's that is the cave. And what's what I found so interesting is there's been a lot of talk lately, well not lately, for the last 30 or 40 years, of how, in a sense, it's a type of not just a prison, it's a type of farm that we as divine sparks are here to be farmed for what Robert Monroe called louche, other people call just energy. And it's an interesting concept, is that if if you have this massive, if we if we assume, let's pretend it's like a computer simulation. If it's a massive computer uh, program, it would need a massive amount of energy. The amount of power that's needed to keep the thing running is huge. It's ingenious, sick, but ingenious. If you could get the, the, uh, the characters that you put in your game to generate the power to keep the system running. So that in a sense, you don't have to plug into anything. The characters in the game keep the power going so that it just can keep spinning. And I, I, if I'm simplifying it, there's my simplification of, I think, what we're dealing with. And everything's a distraction for us not to see that key point. Um, I have to mention something. That I hadn't thought about this till literally when you just mentioned it, even though I've actually heard you say that a few times as far as uh, us being uh, potential energy generators for this realm. Uh, I think it was last year. <laughs> I actually had this idea with I that I told my I told my brother was uh, creating a creating a a gym, and we'd call it the powerhouse. <laughs> and essentially, all the exercise equipment would be hooked up to power generators, and you'd sell the electricity back to, back to the electrical company. It's still a good idea. <laughs> don't say a... that on, dude. Don't say that over the air. People are going to steal the idea. It's actually a decent <laughs> idea. It could work. It could work. Yeah, yeah. You might want it when you when you're putting this together. You might want to edit that out. Yeah, for sure. Actually, a decent. Honestly, dude, think honestly, about it. You could actually that's a, sell that's it. That's a pretty good idea. At the at the very <laughs> least. Never mind selling it back to the company. At least then you wouldn't have to get any power from the company at all because you're just generating it yourself. Your right. your your business is operating at electricity free. Yeah, yeah. Because there's nothing more hilarious than basically people paying you to be hamsters in a wheel. <laughs> yeah, just can't, just call it the powerhouse, but they don't have to know. They don't even have to know. 
Right. <laughs> they <laughs> don't even have to know about it. They just yeah. like they just go call. Oh, we got my gym's the powerhouse. Yeah, yeah I know. They wouldn't they have just to know. It. It just they'd be completely none the wiser until something somebody. <laughs> and they've got it. really good rates. I'd say it's really cheap to go there. They're I know. Like, the the other guys pay a lot more than what you know. Yeah. 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 You Pass might want to cut this little piece out and save us. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not sure it's in my calling to start a gym. Maybe I'll leave it in there just so somebody else can take that idea and <laughs> put it out there. Maybe they can. Maybe they'll send me a, uh, I guess a, a, a thanks percentage or something like that. But anyways, actually, uh, actually let, before uh, before you before we move uh, further. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was saying in this realm, was... don't expect that. You'll get nothing. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you you mentioned uh Robert Monroe. Is that the same Robert? Is that the same Monroe from the Monroe Institute? That... Yeah, he wrote yeah. a book in 1971 called Far Journeys, in which chapter 12 is the right. is where this information of Louche as an idea was first presented. He presented a complete one chapter of what I think is one of the so most important. He came important up with the term Louche. Of... Yeah, he he came up. It was his oh, wow, term. Okay. He, it was. I didn't know. It that. was something that he claimed was in one of his out of body experiences that he met these beings, and the beings gave him this information on what Earth is, how it's oh. run, how it's structured, uh, why it's structured the way it is. Um, just an amazing piece of work. Now, the next part of the story, which is to me, it's the shocking part, is um, and, and I can't verify this a hundred percent. This is just what I've been told about the end of the story. So I'm assuming it's true, but might not be true, but probably is, is that uh, he went through a, a bit of a depression a couple of weeks after he finished writing the book. So it's been told um, because the information was so shocking on some levels, but then I guess he came out of the depression yet, uh, went through the Monroe Institute, has done great work since, but it was never spoken about again. And a lot of people over the years have contacted him or the Monroe Institute asking for more detail about Lush and how it operates. And it's just something that's not spoken of anymore um, in that group, which it seems strange in itself that something that could be one of the most important well, pieces yeah. of knowledge is just like literally brushed under the table. Yeah, I've looked into some of his work. I know this is not really uh, this isn't where we were supposed to be going down, but I'm actually really curious about this since you know. Have you looked at because I actually have his uh the Monroe Institute's uh gateway experience and it's allegedly okay. it's supposed to be like where you you know you listen to these tones and it will uh uh basically help you to astral project. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Have you and tried I, it? I, yeah, I well, here's the thing is like I got I did the first one felt a little, you know, a little, little, little weird. And then I got to the, did the second one. And then when I got to the third one, you kind of feel like you're trying to leave your body. And it's like, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm not dealing with this is not okay with me right now. I'm not ready for this kind of feeling at the moment, mm. you know? And mm -hmm. so it's, it's one of those things where it, cause one of my big cognitive dissonance that I have in life is we keep hearing about people. Oh, sorry. We keep hearing about people trying to, you know, escape this realm, but on this plane, we can't possibly understand what it would be like to be a spirit without having some kind of medium form. Like even this husk that we live in this body, what would that be? Like, I don't know. Like I, it's some to some to me that seems a little unnerving. So why would I want to leave this place that actually I can taste my food and go to another realm where I'm just the spirit being? Um, well, it would be a question of, do you want the truth? 
Yeah, I, because I do. If you're in a, if, because if, well, if, because if you're in a, if you're dealing with a reality that you find to be false, that you find mm -hmm. to be actually not true in any way, shape, or form, I, I learned long ago that this is a transparent. It's it, there's no solidity. There's you know, yeah. it's yeah. just it's just here based on perceptions and projections. So once you decide you want the truth more than anything else, you're willing to go to other realms to see is there truth there. Of course, right. you find there's not really any truth there either, but it's just it's a different it's a different setup, and you start right. asking, well, what is truth, right? Mm -hmm. Big question. Well, well, that actually uh, it reminds me because uh, on Amazon when when your uh, when your book first came out, I I wanted to try and be one of the first people that actually left a review on it, um, and I pulled it up just because I, I I wanted to have a little bit of a synopsis that I actually put on the website, but. Um, I'll just to tell you the first half and it's just kind of, I'm I'm mentioning this because of what you essentially what you just said it says um it says uh with that if you're looking for a self self-help book then this on the one hand is not a self is not self-help for this reality but on the other hand it's the ultimate self-help book because only you can exit the cave this is not for those seeking a better life it is for those seeking the truth and howdy doesn't even promise even that if if it is the truth from his current perspective and that he is someone who has spent a lot more of his life searching for that truth than most, his insights have immense value. And I said, read the book, but be warned, uh, only you can find your way out of the cave, but you are the but you may also find that you are one of the many who may never actually want to leave. And that's essentially what I put on it. And that's. Uh, that's a, it kind of reminds me of that 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 one phrase from the matrix and i know that movie keeps getting brought up as the perfect allegory for a lot of this stuff and i fyi i do agree that dark city in my opinion is far better <laughs> i love that movie and most people have never even seen it but um but the one part in the matrix when he says the one thing i've come to learn about being outside the matrix is that ignorance is bliss and he eats the steak there are people out there that would just, they'll eat steak, you know, digital steak their entire life, being perfectly happy with not knowing what the truth is. And the truth, mm. you know, the truth, in my opinion, I'm, I'm I've gotten really tired of truth that makes me feel good. It, truth that makes me feel good, just, it always feels like there's this, this element of somebody's trying to sell something. You know, it's like what uh, the That's main culture made. Yeah, that's how cults are made. And we are very familiar with the whole cult mentality. And even what he says, uh, they, he says in uh, the main character in Princess Bride, he says, anybody who he says life is pain. Anybody who says any differently is trying to sell you something. And I'll, for my 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 naive self in the past, I always hated that line. But I've kind of like no, that that actually is kind of <laughs> kind of true <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. so anyways, let me get back to the, I mean, we haven't even really gotten to the top part of my questions and I, like I said, I don't think we're going to be able to get to all of them, but I do, I kind of wrote them in such a way where we're, I'm kind of wanting to look at things from the top down and, uh, get down to the, get down to the details. But I guess the, the one thing that keeps nagging me in your book, as well as what other people are saying in regards to this topic, which aren't that many, 
There's very few people talking about this in the way that you're presenting it. But the one thing that keeps nagging me is that if there is a demiurge or uh, any kind of archon, anything that is, I would guess you could say, not doing things in our best interest, who actually rules this realm, even in the New Testament, says Satan is the god of this realm. Every There's all kinds of evidence is saying that there is a dark entity ruling all of this stuff, and there's plenty of evidence to say that that's probably true. The question I keep getting that I don't seem to be really getting a really good answer for, and I'm not even expecting even you to have one because I I think it's a hard question to answer, is if there is, is there a main top numero uno God all character in this crazy all of existence reality and if he's good, he has to be at the very least complicit in all of this that's going on. Otherwise, he's he, he he's either lacking power or he has some kind of like legal cosmic uh, obligation for us being here in this shit show. <laughs> does that make does that, does that make sense to some some extent? Yeah, that's I was lucky. He he sent me over the questions beforehand, just so you all know. <laughs> and, it's, and I, I and they're 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 definitely philosophically deep questions. And uh, even though I'm even though I've seen them, I can't say I'm going to have any kind of really good answer for them. But um, of course, this is something we we can't know for sure, right? Right. But the Gnostics and the Cathars, for example, both describe a a being, and that's not even the right word because they they were clear not to use words like God or anything they used uh they called it the one excuse me in the um in the apocryphon of john it's uh this this totality this absolute is always called the one so it's got no they try to they try to say no name and it's also not male it's a it's a combined male female perfection you might say that's merged into one thing but it's not even one thing so they seem to describe that. Okay, so it seems like there's this outside that if you look at, if you can think of our uh, our entire cave as like a like a ball, maybe or something like that, then then there's this thing that's out things that's outside the ball. So then, okay, good question. Why does the thing outside the ball let the ball continue, right? And again, it, it, you have to you have to read these Gnostic texts like again and again and again to kind of try to maybe figure out what they're pointing towards. But it seems like um in a sense you have to remember we as divine sparks okay how to say this simply the creation itself by this demiurge or whatever you want to call it is a false creation the the creator was made by in gnostic terms by accident sophia tried to create without her male counterpart created this being this uh, serpent slash lion-headed being who attempted to create on its own and became drunk with the power of creation and then deceived because he couldn't get it running in a sense deceived us divine sparks to come in to bring life in to copy the the external in the internal and so you might say we were deceived to come in thanks we were deceived to come in um so there's also a little bit in some way we agreed to enter here on one on one way or another, we agreed to enter this insane place. 
So from the outside, it might be, a, and this is just a, I'm just spitballing, right? I'm just throwing out ideas. It might be this sense of this being is, is giving some time to see uh, if the ship can be righted from within, just kind of like seeing if this can be somehow, but it seems like parts of things like Revelation and some other similar destructive-like mythology indicates that there is a time already foretold in the future when the thing that's not the creator, right? This, this, this one is saying this thing is finished. We're, we're, we're shutting this down. And I think that will happen at some point. And a lot of what I think we're seeing in this time frame, year 2020 through 2023 now, and going to continue is the top down <clears throat> through the minions that run this place. I think an attempt to keep the simulation going, make sure it doesn't get shut down, and in fact create a split even in the simulation where they lose a few souls, but the rest of them get trapped in an even deeper metaverse, an even deeper layer of the simulation. And so simple answer, but I, I've said kind of something like that a few times before, but that's the best I can answer, I think, for that. But, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, before I, we move any further, I just want to ask because I've actually looked a lot into trying to find out information about the Cathars. And of course, I mean, I went online. I'm not, I'm, I didn't go to a library because all libraries are just packed with new books anyway now. And, uh, but do you have any specific uh, texts or anything that you've read that people might be able to go to to look up about, read about the Cathars? Because I know a little bit about, about them from websites, but not any kind of old archaic texts that i could research no again that's one of the problems right is was when the church of rome decided they were too dangerous this group of vegetarian slash pacifists needed to be eliminated and killed off they made sure not only they killed all them off they burned all their books they burned everything that was so everything that they had Classic. that indicate who and what they were was pretty much gone there's only a few texts that survived uh, at all and a lot of what was known about them for a long time is what the is what the what the Church of Rome wrote about them. You know what they wrote to each other. Why uh, we need to do this? We know how they came do. out of their inquisitions. Here's what. They, so it's all being written by the persecutors. <clears throat> we have almost nothing written by the people themselves. And I know there's questions coming up to go into to, to detail about possibly why that might be. So looking, I would say looking for a book to read about them is going to be tough simply because we know so little. Uh, and that's part of the mystery. Part of the mystery is because they've been, everything's been so totally wiped out. You have to ask, well, why, why is it so totally wiped out? Because there's obviously something, they obviously felt there was something dangerous that they needed to eliminate it. Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, we've kind of, we've kind of, uh, danced around a little bit, uh, the a little bit of the next part which i guess i kind of asked but uh i just want to cover my bases before we get any any further as i'm just trying to understand the the only conclusion i can possibly come to in regards to there being a because you you mentioned him as the one or there's the uh there's mm -hmm. the demiurge you know there's always this you know good versus evil evil versus good which is more powerful are they same is it there's more this yin yang kind of thing where they're both actually the actually one thing and 
all I can seem to come to some kind of major conclusion is that the head dude that is, even if he's not good, he's at the at 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 best he has to be at very at the very least neutral, and he has this happening for a reason. And if the demiurge is just one of these things that's a control of all this and created it according to what you're talking about in historical texts, he's been allowed to. And he has to have been allowed to in the sense that it's like, okay, I'm creating you this thing called the Demiurge, and I am commanding you to be an asshole. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I am insisting yeah. that you do everything in your power to make these people's lives a pain in the ass, be a pain in their ass all the time. And I want it that way. Why? I'm not telling you. And maybe somebody will figure it out some someday. And I'm not saying that you have the answer. I'm not yeah, saying I no, have the answer. What I, I can't say too much. I know what your question is, and it's a very good question. It's a it's a part of the current research that I'm doing for the next book. So Which I can't I'm really. I'm not at the point for. to really. Dis <laughs> I can't really describe that at this point, <laughs> other than to say, if I can say it this way, um, the. The texts are kind of clear again that there were, there was a standard form of the way creation was supposed to happen in this place of one, and the the demiurge was created different than all the others. So it, it already is separate from the totality. It, it, it's already it, it itself is 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 um is an imperfect creation. So because it's imperfect. Hence, the creation it creates becomes imperfect. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't in a sense made by this. I'm just going with what the Gnostics would say, right? So it wasn't made by this one. It was made in. It was made by incorrectly. So then, so then you could ask, well, if it was made incorrectly, we've we've made mistakes when we're cooking, and we just stop and we, you know, throw it in the garbage and start all over again, and you know, it's no problem. So why didn't they throw the demiurge in the garbage? That's a good question, and I don't know. Right. And. Um, and why has it gone on now? Of course, we say it's gone on for thousands of years or however yeah, long maybe. this has gone on. Um, but we don't know what thousands of years is in true total time or if that really means much or, you know, we, we, we're dealing with cosmic concepts, mostly through a very simplistic egoic mind that is operating in a very tight box of what it can contemplate. And so puts us in a really difficult pose. You have to kind of You've had to you have to feel some of this out and you have to have some experiences that give you some doorways that kind of tell you, you know, maybe, maybe not. And um yeah, that's the best I can do to answer. Right. These are valuable questions. Well, don't I got, don't I got stop it. asking them. Yeah, I I if you I ever get, get an answer, let me I, know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, let's uh just to shift gears a little bit. Um yeah. you uh you mentioned and there it, it's not in, it's not in this order in my questions but that's that's fine it's yeah. kind of keeping with a little bit of the theme but um mm. you mentioned a lot in your book about uh uh ndes near death experiences and the whole the whole concept that you you bring that when you die you are being presented a choice whether to continue on or you go towards the white light that you hear throughout all of Hollywood and 
books and all these kind of all these kind of mediums telling you that it's this loving, joyous place where they're just leading you off to grandma and Jesus, and it's going to be this perfect place. And what you what you what you've proposed is that that white light is actually the thing you don't want you want to actually avoid. And I guess the question I have the, the question I have is because what you're saying is that they're deceiving you into going into this uh, seemingly loving place. But to I, I guess I guess the way I'm asking it is to what extent do you think that they could deceive you? And I'll give you a, I'll give you a for instance, and this is the one that's been in the back of my head since I've been reading this book. Um, you've got grandma there. And you say, you're not my grandma. I don't know who you are. You've got these angels telling you, but everything, everything you could ever want is beyond this light. And you're like, screw that. I've read Howdy's book. I know what that light is. And, <laughs> and I know that you've you've talked about being in the astral realm and it being a little different, but I'm, tell this is Archangel all Major, it's like howdy Mikowski yeah. said for you. Howdy Howdy Mikowski said piss <laughs> off and you do all that. But I I'm I almost in my mind I went down a much darker route and I was like, what if they were like in your physical realm, you didn't believe hell existed? Well, take a look at this shit, and then all of a sudden the gates of hell open up and it's pure torment. And they say, go into that little white light or there's where you're going. That's to the extent that I'm wondering, it could it be something as insane as that to get you back in here? Or do they have some kind of limits on what they can do? Because honestly, if I got into that in, in that state and I'm like, I've already renounced everything I believe but now I'm in this realm where they're literally showing me the pits of hell. And I'm just going to take it on the fact that I read Howdy's book three times. <laughs> I mean, don't take that the wrong way, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Can they, do you think it really could go to that extent? First of all, I don't think I'd be using me as a key reference in that situation. <laughs> Fair enough. Howdy, it's, everybody, it's my new Bible yeah. now. It's like, <laughs> it's like, like yeah, cult out of it. Yeah. That's how Howdy these McCoskey. things start, actually. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Howdy um, McCoskey called. The other, the other thing is you mentioned right at the beginning, you said there's a choice. I don't think there is a choice being that's ever thrown. It, it's it's situations that are thrown at you. So I've had the chance to to, to look at a lot of near-death experiences. There's a great, there's a great website, uh, nderf.org, that has hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them. Um, Forever Conscious Research Channel does great jobs. Um Mark does a great job going through near-death experiences. There's lots of ch channels that post them. He looks at other views of it. So generally, it's always presented in very loving, wonderful, fantastic terms. That's usually how it's presented, of course, because the person hasn't died. It's a near-death experience. So they're coming back. And in a sense, they're not ready. And there's reasons they're not ready. Not ready from the standpoint to grow. I mean, not ready for what these beings want in their death, you might say. But there are 15% of experiences that are nothing like the white light loving experience. They're very, very dangerous and dark and revealing, like you say. 
grandma and Jesus are there. And then all of a sudden the face comes off and they see what's really behind grandma and Jesus in there. So the, these ones that are not the, the, the wonderful white light experiences, I think are so important for us to get a better sense of what's going on. So to finally answer, to finally get to your question, they these beings, I think, remember, they have the access to the Akashic Records. So they have access to everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, every experience you've ever had. They're literally, they can read all that and determine what's the best choices we have to get you to do what we want you to do. So it might be offering you things. It might be, maybe for some people, it's like, well, you need, you always wanted this. You always wanted that. You know, For other people, it'll be uh, giving them the kind of loving and wonderful experience or the the the, the, the person that is, that's been close to them that they died and, and haven't seen for a while, put that in. For others, it'll be extreme fear. For others, it could be all sorts of stuff. They, they, they could try to throw everything at you. And, um, and it's not like, well, we can be ready for everything. No, you can't be. Uh, I think all we can do is, is, is seemingly the first step is just say no to everything if possible and just, get your ground, just start figuring out where am I? It's going to be a confusing moment. So step one is just don't go ahead with anything. Uh, try to make some decisions. Okay. And if it becomes really dark and dangerous, then you know, they're doing that to, because it's, it's built to you. It's built to what's going to break you down. And so is there a way you can, I don't know, is there a way you can work to jump around it now even to yeah. then to avoid that as, an option for you well then like, like okay so but you even you mentioned earlier that in the even in the bible it speaks uh or in many traditions it speaks that the that the actual one the one source is has this plan to say all right we're shutting it down game uh, game over the y'all you didn't figure it out we're, we're getting rid of it so it yeah, it, it does seem like it would make a lot of sense to try to exit this. This I mean, obviously, since 2000, I mean, we always knew that the world was kind of messed up. But after 2020, it almost got it almost got like, OK, are you just trying to show me the magic trick, Demi Urge? Because you're being too obvious now. You're being <laughs> way too obvious. Like with the NPCs, are, it's it's insane. It's like it's almost like it's like. Okay, if y'all haven't figured this out now, you're really dumb. It's almost like he, the like the demi are just saying it's like I'm showing you my hand. Here it is. Here's my cards. If you still can't beat me at this game, then you deserve to come back here. You're an idiot, you know. Right. So why wouldn't uh, why wouldn't it make sense again, to just wait again, until it's, it's not over? that I wouldn't use the word idiot. The the word mm -hmm. the, the word would just be um, the belief structures that have been taken in and the uh, and the various faiths and fears and hopes and dreams and all of these emotional elements have wrapped around a certain uh, view of the world that doesn't allow questioning into things that are bigger than that. That's that's that that's what it is. So it it has yeah. nothing to do technically with the level of intellect. It has to do with how tightly how tightly identified is somebody with their box. Because if you if you can allow yourself to say, actually, I have these things I believe, but I don't know for sure. And I, I'm going to start looking around. There might be other answers. Most people don't want to do that. In fact, they can't. Uh, not only because their, their whole sense of self and, and reality is built on it, but I mean, 
generally people are working eight to 10 hours a day with commuting. They've got two kids. They've got to take them to soccer practice. They've got to get this done. They've got to get the laundry finished. They've got, they have no time. Like contemplation, true contemplation first requires a willingness to do it. And then the time to make it happen. Very few people have the time to make it happen. It's one of the things I was so thankful about being a comedian 25 years ago when I started this, this exploration is the, it gave me so much time other than when I was on stage. Okay. So I was on stage or I had some traveling and yeah, okay. But the rest of the week, nothing else I had to do. So I could just read, I could just think, I could just go for walks. I could do exercises. I could practice stuff. And um, that was something that I realized was just a gift. And uh, that time, available time is a gift. And we have to try to take advantage of the available time we have always to ask these deep questions. So uh, uh, he just he just mentioned the uh, and I I I I personally like you hate the term because it's so video gamey and it's the whole element of NPCs which is also becoming a big topic. It's for me personally one of the more unnerving concepts that seem to make a lot of sense but it's something I don't oh, yeah. like thinking about. It's something that really bugs me when I look at somebody and I'm like, everything about you has this yep. element of being a soulless automaton, but you still right. look so much like a person, <laughs> you know? And it's, and it's, it's, I don't, I don't like the idea of me being, a being in front of somebody and not being, uh, seeing them as a equally spiritual person because I've been brought up my whole life to believe that we're all created in God's image. We're all, uh, you know, you know, all men are created equal, which all the things that we've been told our whole lives is that we all are, we all, we're all trying to equal to come to this equality. Mm -hmm. And the new, the newest term I saw or heard on your channel is I think you came up with was uh, uh potential soul vehicles. <laughs> which I like that one in the sense that, you know, a lot of people around here just seem to be walking around like meat suits and they don't think anything beyond what's going on today or what the next sports event is. And I'm like, I want to shoot myself when I hear people talking about the weather or sports. I'm like, I can't even be in this room. I'm like, I'm losing my mind. But I guess the, 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 the reason I'm bringing it up primarily is because it while it seems to make the most sense, it all it, it seems to also have been highlighted since 2020. It seems to have gone straight yeah. up into full on everybody who's who's not who doesn't seem to have the original divine spark in them is like has a spotlight on them practically, and. Yeah. It was actually something I, I was actually kind of, I was, I, I don't know, this is purely speculation. I just, I put it down in my questions just to see what you might have thought of it was, you, as you, I'm sure you know, the uh, Georgia Guidestones were recently, recently blew up <laughs> by who knows. And everybody looked at those as they were nefarious and they were like, oh, they're trying to kill us all. And after, after thinking about this, I was like, what if that 350 million that they talk about on this is them kind of giving, they're alluding to those who are real people around here. 
and this 8 billion people we got going around are just like fillers. Does that, do you know what I'm saying? Because it feels like there's a lot of fillers going on. Yeah. And I, I like the term, first of all, yeah, I like the term now, potential soul vehicle, because yeah, it, the, the other term makes it, makes these others feel like robots and they're not They're There's no difference between me and you, me and you and them and everybody else. We're all exactly the same. We're built the same way. We have the same cellular structure. We, we process information the same way. Food is the same way. Everything is exactly the same. There's just this extra element of uh, internal power, which triggers critical thinking, deep philosophical thinking that just seems to be missing in the the gnostics talk about this too they talk about three classes of people they had the hillocks or the somatics right which were just basically um they called them uh, people focused only on the material realm they were i think it was called psychics and then there was i, I can't remember them all now um but there were three three different uh, classifications of people that you saw around you um so it's important that it's it's they're they're fully human like they're human they do everything human other than if you if you get in conversations with them, you will notice that if you try to move the conversation into anything of depth, and it it doesn't have to be like subjects of the universe and God and death. I mean, just subjects like I'm reading a book now about the uh, the uh, history of the education system and how the education system was actually built. Built a great book, and it's got all of these layers. Then of well, how is it built? Why is it being done this way? Well, you know. The average person who's a who's what we were calling this PSV potential soul vehicle doesn't really want to go and have that discussion. Ah, the school system's got some problems. You know, somebody else will figure it out. Uh, you know, let's have another drink. And you know, that's <laughs> so that's kind of how you start to know. You notice that there's certain the boxes. It doesn't matter the subject. When the box starts to have to get to why is it the way it is? Doesn't it sound? Doesn't it seem crazy the way things are? How did it get this way? That's where they don't want to go. And um, it's a really good way if you're, again, building a system to keep certain soul individuals here is that generally, if there's 15 out of 20 people you bump into, you can't have these conversations with, and you try to, you'll start to get tired of them. And you'll, one, you'll, you'll bump into one person. Oh, I can have a conversation with, you know, Jim or Mary or something, but you maybe don't see them very often. Or maybe they live in the next city over. So you hardly ever see them and your friends. So it also makes the ability to even have depth of conversation difficult. You can see how there's so many pieces of how that could be part of the game here. And, and again, I call them potential soul vehicles because just because in this particular run through of this particular thing we're calling life on earth 2023, maybe they don't have a divine spark. And let's say I do this time. I, I consider this to be multiple realities, parallel realities, or perhaps like Groundhog Day, this thing just keeps resetting and relooping. And we, we've lived the same thing, the same 500 years or something, a thousand times. So maybe in another one, the divine spark that went into me in this one, well, it goes into the one that I'm, th that's why I can't look down on anyone I'm calling an NPC. People say, oh, you're looking down on these people. You're you're belittling them. No, they just, I have to be honest and see reality as I see it right now. It, it, there, there's something missing there. But if I could see a different reality playing out, a different life, they might have the divine spark. And I might be the one sitting here and they're asking me these questions. And I'm like, what are you asking me this for? I just want to watch the hockey game, you know?
So it's also interesting to see that we don't want to over label this information, but we do want to be we do want to be clear with what we are experiencing and what we're seeing and trust that. And then, of course, the most important question, how do I use what I know to my advantage for whatever my goal is? And okay, my goal is to exit the matrix to return home. But that doesn't have to be anyone else's goal. Their goal might be something different. And so the, the whole point is know what you really want, know what your goal is, know what your whole what your reason for doing anything is, then with the information you have, you know how you're supposed to apply it. If you don't really know what you want, this is a big spiritual problem, right? Everyone says, or used to be one, it was a big thing in the 80s or 90s, I'm going to become enlightened. I'm going to go find a guru and become enlightened. Not many people ask, what does that mean? What do you mean? What, what is enlightenment? Yeah. Um, they might give you a really simplistic answer. No, I mean, like, explain it. What is it? Well, I don't really know. Then how do you know if you want it? You know, it's this really weird thing of right, like, right. so know what you want first, and then you can find out where you should go and what you're supposed to do to get it. Yeah. 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 yeah that. Well, actually, Johnny, you should tell them your story about the airport NBC. Like, the, okay. This goes back. <laughs> this goes back to the loose harvesting thing because really, with the Catholic, uh, no, the uh, uh, Robert Monroe, of uh, he came up with the term loose harvesting. And, that's one thing I've noticed. Like I've actually been very aware of it because I've always been these uh, this person that's uh, that will be like, why is that person talking on the phone on speaker in front of me? You know, like it just it's just, it's like things people will do that intentionally will annoy you and will annoy everybody else around them. But everybody else doesn't seem to be annoyed by it. But I'm infuriated by it. <laughs> but do you tell them tell them your NBC airport story? <laughs> okay, this so great. I actually I actually just recently I actually posted it on Instagram just because I thought it was so it was so funny. It was it was one of those it was one of those energy vampire moments that was so obvious it almost didn't work because it was, I, I was almost finding it humorous. <laughs> Not almost. I was genuinely finding it humorous was I, besides talking on this, on like this podcast and having a long conversation about things that actually matter. I am one of these people that could be by himself and not talk to anybody for months and be perfectly fine. So when I go to the airport and I sit down, I find a place where nobody else would even want to sit much less sit next to me and I'm sitting in one spot. There's quite literally got to be a hundred seats in every direction around me. And I see this guy walk by wearing a mask, walk completely past me and keep going. And, you know, I think nothing of it, whatever. Five minutes later, this guy comes out from out of nowhere and sits directly behind me i could have just nudged my head back and would have hit him there's nobody else around nobody just him and me and he's sitting right behind me <laughs> and i'm like you've got to be kidding me he there's no way there's like a hundred chairs around that he could have gone anywhere he could have gone anywhere, gone anywhere. he sits right behind me i was like this is okay. insane <laughs> and then what happened and then I started, I basically just started taking pictures, waiting to see if maybe he sat there to plug in, uh, plug in his phone because that's where the outlets were. He didn't charge anything. He just kept sitting there. And, and I got out of my chair and took a widescreen of everything just to show the vast number of seating that he could have sat at. 
and there he is just sitting there. Nothing happened. It was just he was there sitting with his mask on, staring at his phone, doing whatever people do at an airport. But it was just the audacity that he would just sit there. It was so weird. I couldn't I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was like I, I would have never done that in a million years. You know, because this just, is something I write about in, in Falling for Truth. So you might not be dealing with a PSV NPC here. I also write about how what you might call spirit beings beings did different times manifest in not just human form, but bird form, uh, animal form, whatever. And they're there to provide information or some type of message to it. They're not actually there to antagonize us or cause us a problem. They're just they're just there to produce a piece of information if we're aware enough to know. And I've had various instances in my life like this where, where that's happened and been with others when it was happening. And uh, when it was, I knew it was something for them, not me. And when it was done, when they'd come back, boy, that was really weird. And the first thing I'd ask is, what did they say to you? What do you mean? Well, what did they say? What was their conversation? Well, they talked about, no, no, exactly. What was every single word that they said specifically? I mean, you want me to remember every word? Yes. Because every single word was a message for you. And you have to remember each one because if you don't, you're going to miss a great important opportunity. So it's you also when that when one of those things happen, there needs to be this instantaneous, okay, am I dealing with just yeah, sort of a brain dead person? Or am I dealing with something is something else going on that there's a message here and I need to kind of perk myself up and find out what it was? That's why I was curious if anything else happened that could have been seen as indication of pay attention. And no, honestly, there was almost no other indication of anything. Um, the only the only thing that even kind of stood out to me was, uh, and I know that you you have a lot of your stuff on uh, Matt from Quantum of Conscience's uh, channel. He he posts a lot of your stuff. I don't know if you have it, but he has a lot of your stuff posted. And uh, he he brings up the color magenta a lot. And I don't know if you've ever listened to him talk about it. But one thing that the only thing that put that stuck out to me was he was wearing a mask and his bag was bright magenta. That was the only thing I remember. And it was like, OK, that's mm. interesting. Um, so and I don't even know. I, I honestly don't even know what his whole thing is in regards to that. But uh, I don't want to talk too much about my that whole incident. It was just it was just one of those things that was blatantly not. It, it was not in the realm of the normal, you know, so uh, but uh, just to just to continue, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit because there's I mean, even if we don't talk about much of anything else, there's one um, and I don't want to, you know, I know it's probably going to start getting late for you where you're at. Uh, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. But the one the question I have kind of ties in a little bit with your uh, thesis on jesus coming from france and that being linked up with the cathars and that's the it's not that part of the story that i find implausible it's the part where it switches over to being judeo-christian that i'm trying to understand because and just to give you a brief background with my brother and i we grew up very christian then very very christian then we became, I don't know if you ever heard of it before, but uh, Messianic Jewish, which is basically Christian with a Jewish spin. So you basically are taking the elements of Jew Jesus being Jewish, and you start acting more Jewish. And then we went into Orthodox Messianic Judaism, which is like 
Orthodox Judaism. And then we started moving into just being straight up Orthodox Jewish. And now we're in the part where we're talking to Howdy Mikowski on the podcast. So, <laughs> hey. yeah. long story short. So, 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 so you're planning to write a book of uh, various <laughs> religions in the world seen through my eyes. I could yeah, very easily. Yeah, we, and we, we that's could. the reason we why I'm asking could. you this, because the reason I'm asking you this is because I can tell you from that it, it's from a logical standpoint, I don't. I, in my in my experience, I can't possibly see anybody who is Christian who truly thinks about what they're reading in this book that they have on all the pews called the Bible and not ultimately becoming Jewish at some point. Because Jesus, according to the scriptures, he was always presented as Jewish, acted Jewish, followed Jewish tradition. In Jerusalem, in Israel, part of the the part of the Jewish people, all, Jew, 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 everything's Jewish, Jewish all the time. But after, like I said, because of where we're at right now, even none of that seems to make a lot of sense, based off of any kind of historical narrative. It just seems like these books were picked out by the. Uh, uh, now I'm forgetting what the name of it is. The the Council of Nicaea. Council of Nicaea. They're picking these books out and saying we want these very Jewish books to be in the canon, and Paul, and now Jesus is Jewish, and the Jews now own Jesus even though they deny him. And the reason I'm bringing it up to you is because you're saying he was French, <laughs> or at least the story is French, and I'm not saying I'm saying. Possible. It's possible. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. And I, I, I don't want, I want to make that very clear. You're not, you're not stating facts here, not, not stating that the rock, rock solid, uh, you know, this is how it is. And if this is, this is how, this is basically some conclusions you've come to. I was just trying to understand is what would be your theory as to why, if what you're saying is potentially true, what would, what would be the point in changing it from, something that had its roots in Eastern Europe and then going down into the Middle East and turning into this... Western Europe. Yeah. Western. Yeah. Western Trans. Europe. Yeah, yeah. Western yeah. Europe. Okay. Yeah. I got your question. So simple answer. Let's say let's, because one thing about the story, I rejected the story completely for a long time. I assumed like most religious things, it's all just mythology. It's all just, it's a it's a it's a story of information. There's useful information, but there's no history to it. Okay, that's what I thought for a long time, but only after working through the Cathars and the story of Ren Le Chateau and the Knights Templar and really trying to understand why does this area of France get all of this bizarre attention? The Holy Grail. The I mean, everything is centered on this one place, mm. and um, with a group of people who claim that the only thing that matters is breaking the reincarnation cycle and leaving. So things began to, and people can sort of look into the book and then look into other videos and things that they want. That that would be that would answer a lot of questions if that would if that were true. If the story, if if it's a if there's elements of the story that are actually factually true in some way, and took place in this part of the world, that would explain Cathars and the Knights Templar and what happened there, what the Holy Grail could be. I mean, explained all of that stuff. And it would also then explain if a group in Rome 
needed to take control of everything, and religion is an important way of taking control of everything, of the minds of your subjects, then the first thing you have to do is make sure that the story you want to present isn't presented in its true location. That would make complete sense, especially because then you have the actual places, you have the actual, where there's energy, the actual, if this was a real person who had real experiences and had even real miracles, they're still in the original place, right? That it's like, um, it's like when I go to Giza or I go to Teotihuacan, the experiences are, are built into the ancient site. So the energies and the, and the knowledge and it's there. You know, I can't, you can't study Giza from Seattle. I like Seattle, nice city, but you have to go to Giza. If you want to study Giza, you have to go to Teotihuacan. So if you really want to, if, if that's true, and you really want to know the story of this and the Magdalene and everyone else, there's certain sites. But if then you decide, okay, we're going to move the story and we're going to relink it to this other book that we had now known as the Old Testament. We're going to, we're going to make sure we link it to that book and redirect it somewhere else. Then certain teaching tools could still survive in the book, but the, the majority of the focus would go to a completely different place. Therefore, you might say the energies won't be accessed because if the energies get accessed, this is just, again, a thesis. If the energies get accessed, then you might be accessing the direct teachings yourself. You might be accessing the knowledge of, the, well, the Cathars and the Knights Templar. We know what happened to them. They don't want that information rolling around. Same thing with the Gnostics, right? They were killed off too. That's the reason we were lucky enough to have these uh, the Nag Hammadi fragments. They were hidden at the time when they were all being burned. The last groups of these books were being burned in, in, in Egypt. So that would be my simple answer to you is that misdirect from where it's really go where, where it really happened so that you energetically could never make the complete connection to that point hmm. simple answer but that's yeah. that's what i would say very, to very interesting yeah i hadn't i honestly hadn't even really thought of that it uh uh it it felt like it, my my first initial instinct was a little bit um assuming all of this was true it seemed like that if there was this element of spiritual, whether you call it power or truth, that uh, peoples of any group always seem to tend to usurp things that have immense value or power. And I, I wouldn't hold it past anybody to, to take something and just kind of make it their own in order for it to have some kind of element of, well, it's ours now. And it's or it has this kind of power. I'm not mm. saying that's what necessarily happened. It was just my first gut reaction to kind of what you were yeah. talking about. And it it, it, sure. it was it was when you were talking about the Cathars because my my brother had heard of them. I had never heard of the Cathars mm. till I till I heard you mention them and talk about them in the book. And I'm like, well, this is for being somebody who's known so much about just about every branch of Christianity, going all the way back to the Quakers <laughs> and and even before that. I've never heard of the Cathars. And to me, seem to have one of the more interesting elements to them. And I'm this is this is beyond you know taking branch Davidians or you know any that anybody else that goes into that really weird element of Christianity. But this was something wildly different that seemed to, uh, I guess, brush with uh, the Gnostics a little bit, and not yeah, no difference. Yeah. And I was like, this is the the fact that the Gnostics always seem to have this element of uh, not being pansies 
<laughs> you know, not just not just taking what thing they they were like, no, God has this element or we are uh we're in control of our own spiritual uh progress as you were. And the Cathars seemed that like kind of what you were talking about is they they were like, we kind of get it and we're not here to change the world. We're here to just get out of it because the world is you, you it's it's like it's kind of like in a video game. When you're in a video game. There's only so much you can do, but you're not changing the nature of the game itself ever in, until you literally break the code. And then who knows what will happen from there. But this 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 thing we're in right now is set up to be a purgatorial style hell in a lot of in a lot of ways. And I keep asking myself, it was one of those things that I've always I've asked to I even in my religious days. I was always asking people, it's like, why would God create us as these meat bags that constantly are sweating and bleeding and crapping and taking pisses all the time? And then on top of all that, we need to be constantly eating stuff and killing stuff and eating stuff and killing stuff. And all during that entire time, you're you're thinking about all these other little details that seem to don't don't everybody's like, oh, the human body is so incredible. I'm like, is it? Why did God make it make it to where our even even if you look at something as simple as why did God put our balls on the outside of our body? That doesn't make any sense. What? I mean, people are like, <laughs> oh, oh, well, it's you know, it's to keep the sperm from you know getting too hot or something. I don't even know what the reasoning is why science says it, but I'm like, God created balls. <laughs> you have to make them outside of my body for them to be viciously attacked at any more at any moment <laughs> are you having so is this some kind of deep-seated fear you have right now you, absolutely it's every man's seated fear i, I know rather... but it's like you think about this a lot <laughs> i'm just saying there's stuff about about humanity or even flesh like creatures as a whole that doesn't seem to make sense from a God who could be like, well, why don't we just make them feed off of the sun <laughs> or something and, like and that? More more importantly, we don't fit in here at all. Absolutely We're the not. only creature that, that's that one thing I loved clothing. when you we said need, we need. Yeah, we need shelter. We need fire. We need all sorts of stuff just to survive. More importantly, you know, glasses. Um, uh, how about uh, out grass allergies? What yeah. bear or deer has a grass allergy? You know, the <laughs> right, very thing right. you're supposed to be in 24 hours. Like, like that's a guaranteed death. If you can't, if all of a sudden your eyes start watering because you're in grass, you know, <laughs> and the predators on the other side of you. Yeah. So everything, when you start asking questions, everything about our makeup, while it is quite amazing, it also doesn't fit this particular realm. And, you know, again, the, the stories of whether it be Robert Monroe or... Many others, the Gnostics, talk about how there's many versions of creation. This is just one of many different layers of creation or many different layers of the simulation. And we were in different, the world was different in different periods of time, in different, when when we were in the Aetheric realm or the astral realm or whatever. I mean, it was different. And this is just a very dense, thick heavy duty place with a body that doesn't really fit in here. Almost like it was made on the fly. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I the deer and that. the bear and the bird, they fit in really well, but it's like, we got to figure out how to get these divine sparks into this world. So come up with something. We got, you got two hours and this yeah. is what they came up with. Right. Uh, that's yeah. kind of what it feels like. 
Yeah, they were they're they're rushing to the to the drafting room or whatever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I that I've thought that for most of my life. I've thought that, and is something I'm glad you brought up because, yeah, we don't we absolutely positively don't fit in here. Every single every single other creature out there, whether it's a hundred degrees or ten degrees, they're just like, nah, you know. Tomorrow, I'm just making sure I get some water and I'm fine. And we're here. If it's not within a 20 degrees, if within 20 degrees, we're miserable one way or the other. We're too hot. We're too cold. We're too hungry. You know, this bed doesn't feel right. My shoes hurt. You know, every every <laughs> element of what we do yeah. doesn't seem to make sense. And even us, you know, everybody talks about, oh, we're such advanced creatures because we walk upright. Well, what if that's a major disadvantage, which in a lot of ways it is, <laughs> you know, oh, we yeah. walk upright. Yeah. Well, that just means they can push me over a lot easier. You know, yeah. we don't like run fast, of... yeah. <laughs> you know? but yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm mostly just, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in a lot of other detailed ways that it just, it doesn't seem like we, we fit in here uh, at all. And it, a lot of what you're saying in, in your in what you're talking about just seems to make a lot of sense. And leading into that, it brings me to my other question: is well, I don't know if Josh had something to say about that. Oh no, I was just saying like nothing. It always irritated me when people would say the height of our evolution is our brain and our opposable thumbs. And I'm like, what the hell is opposable thumbs have to do with anything? Like, <laughs> that's what we got. Why didn't we? Why weren't we? Why didn't we get these like amazing like shells like a turtle? Or you know, like anything, <laughs> anything or more or anything, anything that would make us survive in this or being able to like you're in Norway, right? You can't go outside without dying in the wintertime <laughs> if you don't have if you are not completely prepared for that. And we're talking within minutes with not in an hour. We're talking about like you could die within minutes if you are not completely bundled up and you have to stay out there. Yeah. That's unnatural, yeah. you know, but you could you could throw any a. Uh, you could throw a dog outside for two or three hours. They'll probably be just fine. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean that, but like I was saying, that was what brought me to my uh, kind of just leading to the next part is, and I have, I just want to hear your explanation for it because I seem, I, I believe I have the best explanation in my own mind of what this is, is why yeah. would there be so much, I guess, aesthetic beauty in this world that seems to be uh completely useless in every way whatsoever to any person that's out there be it a mountain an ocean other than the fact that you've got to either climb it or sail it but a mountain an ocean the stars all of these things that seem to have this intensely vast either beauty <laughs> and detail to them i don't i i i it's kind of like like what you we accept the word like in the german show we accept the world in which we're presented we are presented with this insanely vast realm most of which we most of us will never see even a, a fraction of it but we are presented with this vast realm that doesn't I don't I'm trying to understand why it would be that way is if 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 it could have been made much simpler and not so interesting and we still get to do basically what we do on a daily basis why is it why is it why do you think it's this way at all 
Um, just because it's complex doesn't mean it's difficult to make, right? I mean, if you if you run computer code and you just and you put the code in first to, you know, like these AI things that can make photographs now, right? Once you've got the code in the machine, all you have to do is woman on street in a red coat, boom. And it has the girl in the street. Okay, a dog on the street, and and it just makes it for you. So, the the only difficult part to the to the to this to is just the code. Once you've got the code in place, once it's all put together, it literally just does it itself. It you know it, it can become. It doesn't even it doesn't matter how complex it is out here. It's probably it's simplistic at the code level. Um, on one level, I think that's what shamans and and sort of these what you might call well-known individuals of the past, they were, they were hacking into the code of the matrix. They were figuring, trying to, they were getting to the code and figuring out how can I play around with the code so I can change reality? Cause that's, that's another thing I found from, from all my experience. When I found out that the world is transparent, the world then is also um, moldable. It's shapeable. Now that becomes a big, a big uh, trap because then the spiritual community has made billions of dollars trying to sell people on manifestation ideas, right? To uh, how to make your dreams come true and get whatever you want and have the world to be exactly what you want it to be. And, and that's not really the point of it. The point is you could do it, but you find out that you kind of don't really want to, but it's, it's this interplay of, of, of manifestation. Richard Rose had said one of the greatest quotes I've ever come across is that, uh, um, you can move mountains, but the mountains have to agree to be moved. Wow. That, that, that's just so important because it it means there's a totality of this realm, but why should I decide what's best for the mountain myself? Why am I that arrogant? You know, it's it's the way the natives taught me. I, I don't even go and take a rock or a flower from nature unless I first sort of sit with that thing i'm going to take and first feel does it want to come back with me i mean it might be really happy where it is why should i take the rock or the flower to my house just because i like it who am i to tell a rock or a flower what to do they're they're equal to me in this realm so i have to first feel like yes this is what they want there's a reason i'd like to take you from where you are and take you to my house i'm doing something with you if you want to join that's great and then i'd leave some kind of gift in place for saying for, for having it go with me. And I, that's a huge part of the manifestation process, truly, that is to acknowledge the thing that you're working with in the manifesting type process. Is that what it wants to? Otherwise, you're just going to have, you're just going to have a battle on your hands. And um, so why is it, why is it set up this way? It might just be, you need some beauty sometimes because you can't have suffering all the time. If, right. if you've had suffering 24 hours and, and, and pain and conflict 24 hours a day, you might start figuring this place out, you know, right. uh, times of times of war awaken people pretty quickly. They, right. they, a lot of their illusions go out the window when that starts to happen. Um, so if all of a sudden you have a lot of break periods and a lot of things that are very nice and things that are pleasant, it can be easy to then overlook some of the other stuff because, but this is so good, Ooh, you know, and if you're thinking of it as a battery, if something harsh and challenging and negative is draining the battery, well, now the battery's empty. How do you re how do you re get the battery back up so we can drain it again? Well, you would have to do something that energizes the battery. So you also might have a world that's designed on one level to drain you and on another level to recharge you symbolically. That would be an answer. Yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of to some extent 
I, I in my head, I put it a little more simply was more like, that's the reason why you put little castles in a fishbowl. I mean, I mean the, the the fish just wants something to swim around in, or that's why you put a, a wheel in a hamster cage. You know, it's it's something it's something to do to keep you from not hating where you're at, to always, and that's that's what it feels like sometimes. Um, uh, I don't want to take up. Uh, we've been talking for a good good chunk of time, so I don't. This has been awesome. I don't know if my my brother probably has something to ask you. I'm sure, but we yeah, if you got like another question or something, that's that's you know we can throw out another one here. If there's something you've wanted to ask that you know you want to get out, so see what you guys okay. have. That you know I, you want to get out. I have something, but uh, this goes back to where we first I first heard you. I, I was saying this. Uh, my brother actually sent me over the episode was when you were in Crow, uh, but you. you I'd never even thought of looking into World's Fair until I heard it from you. And I was completely mesmerized by this. Like, I looked at Omaha. We we lived in Omaha for four years. We went to high school there. We grew up in New Orleans and went to high school in, in Omaha. Omaha does not look like that. Like you look at the the expeditions and you're like, I'll show Holy people a picture shit. of it on my phone. We're like, what do you think that is? And they're like, I don't know, somewhere in Europe. I was like, that's Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and they're like, know, it's no, it's not. And I'm like, and I'll zoom up on a pit and there's a big word that says yeah. Omaha in one of the buildings. And they're like, what the hell happened to those? And I'm like, you tell me. I'd like to know. And so, because going back to, you know, you like when you talk about, you know, Jesus and, you know, tying it all back together because, you know, this kind of dungeon that we're living in. And since we all know that our history is really skewed, is it possible that that time was actually like this world might not be as old as we think it is? And that was actually where we kind of started. Like, and then the J man comes down in France and is like, look out, y'all. Everything's about to get fucked up real fast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and then and then now we have what we have now. What well, we could have been living like what we had, what we had in the world's fair. And so basically, I'm just kind of putting like looking at all of everything you've said as a whole, like everything you've everything you've written as kind of a whole picture as World's fair. Possibly our world looked like that back then. Then it starts. Ca- everything starts catching on fire. And, you know, maybe Jesus isn't even isn't that old, isn't that long ago. And then next thing you know, we're here living in boxes and, you know, watching sports ball and everything's in credit. We're all debt in debt to everything. Our jobs suck and we're always tired and irritated, you know. Not, and nothing seems healthy. Everything, everything just seems to be going down this this darker path. And anybody who can't see that, I just I can't wrap my head around them. So I was wondering if you had some kind of if you had ever connected these dots where maybe everything kind of fits all in this one big amazing package. Where oh, days of yore we were living in coliseums. Now we live in boxes, and this has something to do with, you know. That was a big part of the uh, of exposing the expositions of, of that book from three years ago is that I got the sense after digging into it for a long time was that we were probably watching and I used the word before anybody started using it in the last three years was coming after a reset because that was a word that was throwing around the alternative community at the time is there were these periods where things were in a sense wiped out and restarted again. 
And uh, it seemed like to me, that's what happened in this period somewhere during the 1800s ish, and that these fairs became whatever people want to believe, whether they were really built, whether they were ancient buildings, whether they whatever, but they were like the marker point of starting our world that the world we've known that we grew up living was in a sense manufactured uh, not just from uh, like the buildings are the least important part of the story actually it's what was going on at the fairs what was what was being presented what is the message that was going out what was being taught and all of that if you look at anything we have today schooling law government commerce police structures the way the fire department works the way anything uh, all the sports we play everything they would all they were all in some way created 1860 to 1910 Almost all the foundations were there. They try to claim there's an older history. Oh, and then it was built on this from Rome, built on this from Greece. But really, when you have, when you get down to it, say, so yeah, but when did it actually get formed? Like in our world, yeah, it was, it was 1887. Oh, okay. So it was like it was literally the whole structure of everything was built in like a 30 or 40 year time while the fairs were going on. So I think the fairs were like before you had movies, before you had television, before you had open propaganda machines you had this place because remember the fairs were all over the world there was probably 500 of them in the course of 30 or 40 years all looking the same all with the same message all doing the same thing that's a really good way to indoctrinate a worldwide population into a particular kind of thinking particularly if they've just come either come out of a crisis come out of a total disaster or been manufactured. I don't know. I've heard lots of there's some really weird stories out there that I can't necessarily throw completely in the garbage, right? These cabbage patch kids and a whole bunch of stuff I've heard about. Yeah, and, I heard about uh, that on one of your shows. You were talking about that. It's like yeah, that's the weirdest just, thing I have ever heard. Like, it, what are you? Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. So who knows? But it just seems like that was indicating it's the changeover, and that's why it's that's why it's important. It's important because we're in one now, right? Mm -hmm. It's happening now. Whatever these fairs were coming out of, we're in that same period. So understanding what happened then and what the new world was being created gives us a better clue of where we actually are and what's going on. So that's why, to me, it's not really important to know, oh, did we lose an ancient civilization? That's low on the important scale. It's what's happening right now. What is it we're not seeing? Where is this really probably headed so that we make the decisions that are right for us right now because there's a big opportunity now these things aren't happening by accident right these things are happening at a particular time frame in the big sky clock of the world that um it's designed i think to block a doorway that's open there, there's a big doorway to knowledge and truth and totality it's it's right there and if people want to move in that direction i think what would normally take five or ten years of work might take you you know, five weeks or five months or whatever. You've got an unbelievable opportunity of depth and speed, but you have to really want to do it and you have to put your time and your effort in, but know it's know it's going to be rewarded greater than it's ever been rewarded. That's how I that's at least how I feel about it. I can't prove that. But everything from my research seems to indicate we're at this point where we have a great opportunity, not as humans, not as a group, individually. Each individual person has a great possibility, and it's up to each person to take their own journey now, wherever they want to take it, they, if you want to. Right on. Awesome. Right on. Well, I'd say, and I, I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work, I'll edit it out. But I got 
one, let's see. I got one more question for you. And it's actually from my six-year-old son. <laughs> okay. And I'll see if this plays right on my phone because I can't get it to run through Zoom. Again, I'll edit all. I'll let you know how it sounds. Yeah, you can let me know how it sounds. Yeah. These are the kind of questions he comes up with. Ask my brother. This he's kid is deep. This kid's a trip. <laughs> he's, he's, a he's a deep kid. kid. For six, he comes up with some wild stuff. So let's see if this works. Listen, it's really, really, really hot. Why does everything exist? <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, why does everything, why does everything exist? exist? Yeah. yeah, he says, I have a really hard question to answer. Really, really hard. Why does everything exist? <laughs> yeah, he asked me that. I was like, you got to let me record that. <laughs> and ask, me, ask it one more time. And he he asked. And he, I'll tell you, my my son is. He had. A, I was like, I've got to put that on on Howdy Mikowski's show. Maybe he has the answer to why everything exists. <laughs> but uh, not, but no, he has not necessarily because that that might be his core question. Each one yeah. of us has a core question in our being that is the thing that would take us to the to this totality, right? To the self. It's a different for everybody. That's what he might be asking. That's you know, if he tries to ask who am I or what is God or what happens after I die? He won't go the right place. But for him, that might be his question. Why does everything exist? Right. Yeah. And I, uh, I believe it. And he's, he's, it's the, some of the weirdest, I mean, there was a, there was a time when he was like genuinely seemed distraught about it. And he was like, why don't I feel real? Like really upset about it. He's like, I don't feel real. Why don't I feel real? And yeah, that stranger six-year-old comes up with a question like that. He was tri he trips me out sometimes with the things he says, and I'm like learning about stuff that what you're talking about. I'm lo I'm looking at what other people mm -hmm. are talking about it, and he's saying stuff like this, and I'm like, reality's breaking down around me in every way. Even my son is saying stuff that I'm like, maybe he's on to something, <laughs> you know. And it's it, it's 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 been a really wild ride the last few yeah, years. Yeah, I, I would I would use that as a possible interesting resource. And um, <laughs> you know, when he says something like that, my 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 response would be, uh, why do you think it does? Yeah. If you you know, just first because you know, younger children are still tapped into outside of this realm. And as they get older, they get sucked in here deeper and deeper. So he's who knows how much he's still got access to there. That's why it can be good to throw the question back. It's like, well, you know, what do you think? What do, what do you feel about it? Or, you know, I mean, when he says, like, I, I don't feel real. I say, well, do you think there's a place where there is real? Just see what he says. That's a good. That's a good question. You, you might get a surprising answer by throwing the question, the old psychological game, right? Throw the question back to the patient and see mm -hmm. what they respond. Right. That's pretty good. Wow. Yeah, I'm awesome. gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do that. So, but yeah, I just wanted to share that with you because I was like, I've got to get this in at some point because I thought that would be pertinent to a lot of the work that you do. And if my six year old is living in the most insane part in our history <laughs> and asking these yeah. questions then uh you know maybe he's gonna look at us as a bunch of bumbling idiots when he's our when he's our age you know so well uh howdy yeah. mr mccoskey 
Not Mikowski. There's no du- there's no W in there. It's Mikowski. I really can't thank you enough for being on our show. Uh, us starting this podcast is primarily us to have opportunities like this to be able to talk to some real, real thinkers and real uh, people that are really trying to figure things out or in in this in this realm we're living in. And I put you pretty close i put you up in the top of the list of all kinds of people that we've been wanting to talk to we're just trying to figure it out and i hope that us being able to talk to people like you it will get out there and other people start trying to figure it out too and maybe together we'll get a clue by the time my son is my age and he'll have an answer to why does everything exist <laughs> you know well, there's there's the point of why kind of why i did this was i figured I, I felt i had a piece of information a piece of the puzzle a piece but i know i it's just a piece i don't have the whole jigsaw puzzle i don't know it all and so i wrote the book and the other books and things i've done to share that with others with the hope that they will put it together with their pieces of the puzzle and bring it back and share the next section and the next section and the next section and yeah, that maybe together as a as a group we can we can figure it all out it's daunting all by yourself but if we share the journey a little bit for some of the way that can be a bit of a help so that's that was the idea of doing all this yeah well i know i know we appreciate it um i can't wait for book two to come out you know put me on the pre-sale list i guess oh, yeah. re- i've already read it several times several times and i've i've been jonesing for the next one so let me know as soon as possible and i hope we can have you on again when the second book comes out and we can maybe hash out some of these ideas and edit some of the things that we talked about today and said that was a really <laughs> that was stupid we thought that stuff you know what <laughs> during book one book two's out <laughs> we got new information <laughs> so. that's a part that's a big part of the journey if you don't look at where you were 10 years ago and think boy a lot of that stuff i believe now is pretty stupid you haven't really grown you haven't really gone far right so that's yeah. one of the concerns i had long ago uh when i started digging into spiritual topics you would pick up some these have like 10 or 15 books and it didn't matter which book you picked up it's exactly the same thing over the course of like 20 years. So like the person never grew. They just wrote one thing and then they just keep repeating it in different ways. And, you know, like my Egypt book, I've got to the point where I, I, I agree with like almost none of it. And I'm like, I'm almost like, I think I've got to actually pull it off the sales list because it's so completely, it's from almost 20 years ago. I'm not thinking anything like that anymore. I'd almost have to like right. rewrite it if I was going to put it out. And that's a good thing yeah, because I'm... it means we're thinking and growing and changing and, realizing that we don't have to keep our belief patterns till next week or next year or anything else. We can, they can change as we find new information. Just like everything in exit the cave, exit the cave too. Whenever that comes out in a year or two or whatever. Yeah. It might be completely different. I might say, yeah, the first book I wrote piece of crap. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I mean, I know we, I know my brother and I can, can, can attest to that because uh, uh, if you ask us 10 years ago, what we thought, I, that that whole part of my life feels like a distant dream. I mean, it really does. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of stuff in my past. Like if I looked at what I was ta- what I thought and believed today versus what I did ten years ago, it's it's it it's so opposite ends of the spectrum that I I can't even. I almost it almost doesn't it does like my son says. I it doesn't feel real. Doesn't feel real. You know. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're at right now. And so that's why I'm, like I said, we're ecstatic to have you on here. Uh, like Thanks. I said, my I know my brother, me and my brother, we're just super glad you you came on our show. And 
was able to talk about this stuff. And I really hope to have you on, back on the next, on book two. Thanks a lot. Sure. And for those yeah. who want to go find it, if you're interested, you know, obviously you can start on a place like if you're looking at the books, place like Amazon will have all the books listed yep. and you can yeah. and don't I, have yeah. to buy them from there if you want the books. But, you know, there's lots of other places you can get them from. And if you go to my website, uh, which is the terribly named Egyptian-wisdom-reveal.com, <laughs> yeah. you can also buy a PDF file copy of the book because I know finances are challenging and other people just don't want a hardcover book. They just want to read it on their screen so you can get it a much cheaper way much cheaper version there and the other books are there. Right. Howdy McCoskey talks is the YouTube channel, which is still there for now. Amazingly. And um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the story. I guess. <laughs> and I'll just say one more, one more thing. Uh, because we're so new at podcasting, I'm really bad about telling people where they can find you. <laughs> so since you just laid it all out, if anybody's interested, I already have it. It will already be on the website because I already have it on there. Everything he just told you, if you go on our website to this episode, I've got a link to the book. I got a link to his website. I got a link to his interviews page. I got a link to his YouTube page. I got a link to where you can buy his book on Amazon and uh, you can listen to this episode. So if you don't want to remember everything he just said, go to our website. Links are all going to be in there, too. So. That's where you can find him and go back and look at more of his stuff because everything we talked about is just scratching the surface. I promise you won't waste your time. So again, and, and our website is truetheaterradio.com. Yeah. I can't even tell us people our own <laughs> website. I'm too busy talking about conversation. I'm trying to run a freaking podcast here. Shit. <laughs> truetheaterradio.com. Episode five. Mm-hmm. Howdy Mikowski. Check out the <laughs> Adam Mikowski. Yeah. <laughs> Without a W. It's Cosby. Without a W. It's Mikowski. All right. Type thank, of W. All right. Thank you very much. All right. We'll talk to everybody later. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, my eyes. Oh, it's so bright. Look, it's another one. Sir, are you okay? What is your name? Wait a minute. Who are you? Where am I? My name is Agent Glaucon. This is Agent Bumstead. This is the real world. Thank God you made it out. But I thought my sentence was to be in there. You were, but we had no idea Demi would go rogue and keep people in there for years. It was to be days, a, a week at the most. Every time we sent someone in there to retrieve the others, they don't come back out. I've seen others leave, but they always come back as if nothing's happened. But they... John, we're not you. We sent in others, but if we were to have a real shot of success, it was going to have to be you. Me? What's so special about me? They were not as intelligent or strong as you are. You have a very important mission. You must go back. I'm out in the real world, and I've all but forgotten it. You are the only hope the others have. Do you really want to leave them in there to rot? Think of Lisa. How do you know about Lisa? We know everyone in there. We also know she was assigned to sit next to you and has been for the last two years. <sighs> Lisa. Okay, I'll go back. And if the opportunity arises, I'm taking that Demi out while I'm at it. Ah, yes! I knew we could count on you! You are going to be a hero and a great service to your country and the people of the world. <sighs> Thank me when I get back. God be with you.
okay, whatever you do, don't get caught up in the movie. Just focus on getting Lisa out of there. Welcome back, sir. Would you like a popcorn refill before you return to our feature film? Popcorn, right. I can't forget the popcorn, or Lisa probably won't even listen to what I have to say. Uh, one extra large refill, please. There you are. Enjoy the film. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Now to get Lisa. Oh, man, that's good. Lisa! 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 I've seen it! I've seen it! I've been outside. I've, I've seen the real world. Did you bring more popcorn? Yes. Yes, here. Oh, good. Did you hear me? I've been to the real world. It's hilarious. Every time. Those pieces of shit come out and thinking they're finally out. I love legal loopholes. It's not a prison when they choose to go back. Lisa, listen to me. This is all a trap. We aren't supposed to be in here. But this is the best part. What? Oh, yeah. This is my favorite part. No, no, we, we have to go. Demi, reestablish viewer number 4587629. Viewer number 45,876,291, re-establishment confirmed. Come sit down. We've missed you. Free popcorn. They do have the best popcorn. The best. Maybe I'll just watch... ...till the end. Another dissenter kept from the general public. The greater good can live on another day. I know that Demi created this perfect film, but how is it so enticing? I mean, you've seen it, right? Why didn't you get sucked in? Perfect film, please. That pile of circuits couldn't write a Christmas play for a local elementary school. The movie is awful. So why is it so effective? The movie is just the activator, nothing more. Activator for what? Let me put it to you this way. If and when we send you in there, do not eat the popcorn. Maybe I'll just watch one more time. One more time. Just one more time. One more time. One more time. Doc, do you remember what you said once in psychology class? About the phenomena of dreams foreshadowing future events? Yes. But to healthy-minded people, a dream is just a dream. Doc, I'd like to go home today. Home? I saw what's the matter.
edited by Jonah Earl. Featured in the cast were Jonah Earl as John, Becca Earl as Lisa, Matt T. as Howard, Joshua Earl as Agent Glaucon, Rick Hall as Agent Bumstead, Janet Fox and her husband as audience members. This has been a True Theater Radio production, copyright 2023, True Theater Radio.